on stoops. The other one, uh, we were decorating for Christmas yesterday, and my future son-in-law received a message that his brother, Tyler Castle, was being taken to the emergency room, uh, having some neuromuscular issues, and so uh, he needs our prayers as well. But then this past week, uh, I received a call, a little bit on the frantic side, but certainly uh, disconcerting from Bob. And uh, Bob tells me that, that both he and Debbie have been involved in a serious car accident in downtown Springfield, and that they're in the emergency room. Uh, one of the things that I hope you spend time thanking God for are the leaders of this congregation. But when he called and shared that with me, the way that just hit in the pit of my stomach challenged the very peace that was just sung about. Uh, and then to go and, and one, to see that he was having pain. I know Debbie's still having chest issues from, from the accident. Uh, but to know that they were okay. And that long before uh, Charlie was the first one able to be there, then myself and others from the church came, that long before we were there, they had a Heavenly Father that was watching over them. And I just have to, to give that as a blessing to our Heavenly Father for the care He provided for them. But recognize that's the same care we want Him to continue to extend for those that we've mentioned. And so, as we go before the Word of God, I want to ask that you bow with me and, and just pray with me, if you would. Heavenly Father, we are thankful as a congregation for the men and the wives that serve as elders and family. And Lord, this past week, the thought that we came close to losing one, uh, Father, that breaks my heart, but I am so grateful that you protected and preserved Bob and Debbie, and Father, to see him even up singing this morning, choosing to praise you, uh, encourages my heart. And Father, for those that, that are in the ER right now, for those that are facing circumstances much like what they went through, but different. Father, I pray that they come to the same encouragement and realization as well, that you're there with them, that you are Emmanuel, and Father, we need you. And I just offer them in Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I have the chance to share a little bit further with you in our series this morning. Uh, in Luke, the second chapter, I'm going to ask that you to turn there with me if you would. Uh, if you are with us for the first time, you're catching us in the middle of this series called Casting Christmas, where we're talking about the people that God included in the details surrounding uh, the arrival of Jesus into this world. And this particular season of the year, it's the, the tone of anticipation of Jesus' birth is something uh, that we, we love to celebrate. It comes from the word Advent that we see thrown around quite a bit. That's a Latin word that means arrival or, or coming. And so what we've been doing over the past couple of weeks is we're looking at ordinary people involved in a very unusual circumstance. And the birth of Christ into this world was unusual to say the least. He didn't just show up one day, do what he'd come to do, and, and then leave. He came to this world in the most humble and ordinary of ways through a birth. He entered the world just as you and I did and lived among us for 33 years. In fact, the author of Hebrews puts it this way in Hebrews, the fourth chapter. We do not have a high priest 
that's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. A, a priest is someone who connects us to God. And we don't need many priests. We only need Jesus. And, and that's what he came to do, to connect us to God. And we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. That means Jesus knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it's like to be thirsty. He, he knew what the pains of adolescence and those teenage years were like. He knew what it was like to be rejected by his family and rejected by a friend. He knew what it was like to lose someone he loved dearly. He knew what it was like to wake up in the morning and, and have not only body but heart hurt and, and think about staying in bed and not really understand why you feel the way you do. He understands all those things. The one big difference between him and us, though, according to that verse was he didn't sin. He never let a personal agenda outside of God's agenda take hold of him. He never let his pride, which he never had, get the best of him to the point that he said, God, enough of these mangers, enough of dirty animals and barns, of dirty shepherds and ignorant innkeepers. God, I'm going to do this differently. And during this season of Advent, we're reminded that he chose to come through sacrifice and through humility so that we would have our appetites begun for his next arrival. The day he comes back when he makes all things right, when the scales of justice are balanced, when the books are totaled into this world. For hundreds of years, it had been prophesied that the Messiah would come, that he would come in a very specific way to a very specific people at a very specific time. And yet the nation of Israel, in their anticipation, built so much to the point, and the time lingered so long, they wondered, is this really going to happen? God, have you really been building us up for this? Are you not going to fulfill your promises to us? And at just the right time, the Messiah was born. And God cast ordinary people like you and ordinary people like me to play roles in his narrative. And, and here's the thing that always amazes me. When we read about these ordinary people in the Bible, they're not perfect they didn't have everything figured out. They don't know what you and I know today. They had questions and they didn't know where all this was leading or how it would require a great amount of courage and trust and faith to step up and say, God, I trust you with my life. But it's the same requirement that we have today no matter what we face to step up with the same trust, with the same faith and courage. And so two weeks ago, we looked at Mary and Joseph, the, the young couple, and how they were willing to allow their whole world to be turned upside down. They put their reputations on the line to, to hear gossip from neighbors and friends, to see the rejection even of their own family members and community, because what God did through them was pretty scandalous. But they trusted enough to say, God, we know you're there for us. But we also know it's not really about us. It's about you. Then last week we talked about one of my favorite groups of individuals. We, we talked about the shepherds. Those that we take for granted in the Christmas story sometimes. Those who are put off to the side or to the back of our manger scenes at home. Those who in Jesus' day were looked down upon 
kind of a despised group of people. And yet, when God turned the light on for them in the field, he exposes them for who they are. He drives out their fear and and he renews them in a confidence to say, listen, there's a Messiah that's been born and you're going to find him laying in a manger wrapped in strips of cloth. And I want you to go. And I want you to see, and then I want you to tell everybody about what you've seen. And God's inclusion of the least of these into his arrival on this earth reminds me, this is for you. This is for everyone. There is no one who is disqualified. I don't care what you've been through. I don't care what you've experienced. I don't care what others have said about you or how others have defined your life. When God turns the light on, everything changes. Now this week, I wanted to share the account of some very special people that I think don't get the recognition they deserve at the arrival of Christ. In Luke chapter 2, it begins this way in verse 21. It was on the eighth day when it was time to circumcise the child. He was named Jesus, the name that the angel had given him before he was conceived. Now, one thing I want you to consider always as you read God's word is the details are there for a reason. And you might wonder, Luke, why did you need to tell us that he was circumcised? Well, for one thing, Luke is a doctor, right? So we know we're going to get the medical terminology from him. But Luke gives us all kinds of details because he wants us to know without a doubt that the details of Jesus' birth confirm this isn't just a once upon a time fairy tale. This is a real event involving real people. And I might say with real problems, with real issues, just like you and me. In verse 22, it goes on to say, it was time for the purification offering, talking about Mary and Joseph, as required by the law of Moses after the birth of the child. And so his parents took him to Jerusalem, about six miles up the road from where they were, to present him to the Lord. And the law of the Lord says, if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. And it's to be done so with a sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And again, why the details? You see, what's going on here is a a legacy of faithfulness that's shown all the way from Leviticus 12 in the Old Testament that any couple that has a boy should take him to the temple and offer the sacrifice, and if they could afford it, The turtle doves were offered, and and they were rather expensive. But if they couldn't afford that, then then pigeons would do. And so we learn a little bit about what tax bracket Mary and Joseph are in. They're living in poverty. They're not wealthy enough to offer two turtle doves. And so they offer the simplest thing. and, And I think they would like to know, what's going on at this point? After everything that's already happened that a place couldn't be found for the child to be born in nice, comfortable surroundings, that that not even the priest could come and acknowledge him, that the kings and the princes wouldn't acknowledge him. Why now do we have to scoop this baby up out of a manger, travel six miles to the temple in Jerusalem? I mean, can you imagine for a moment what they must be experiencing emotionally, let alone physically? 
I mean, Mary already traveled 90 miles on the back of a donkey to give birth to a child. And those of you that are expecting, you could imagine that. Those of you that have had children. And now to add, you know, after the child is born, six more miles to that? You remember the day that, that you first brought your, your firstborn home from the hospital? You know, my daughters are now 17 and 21. I remember the day. And honestly, you guys will know I'm getting older because I'm going to say this a lot. It was just like yesterday. I brought Emma Grace home from the hospital. And I remember thinking, you know, as I held this, this little baby girl, God, please don't let me break her. <laughs> you know, she, she's so small and, and I'm so clumsy and so big and and I and I kept thinking you know as I'm going home shouldn't a nurse be going with us you know shouldn't the doctor kind of check our place out I mean has the fire department been there to give us the all clear are all the outlet covers plugged even though this child isn't going to crawl for some time now I mean am I really ready to be a dad and the only thing the nurse had to make sure of was could I lock the, the car seat the right way into the car you know, the backward facing, was, was I sure it was safe? I had to take a test to get a driver's license, people. I had to go to school to, to become a minister. Some of you probably think I should have gone longer. But, but I didn't need to get any of that to be a dad. And, and here I am, and I just needed someone to come up and put their arm around me and say, Bill, you got this. You, you're going to be okay. You, you can do this. Put yourself in Mary and Joseph's shoes after they'd given birth to the firstborn, to Jesus, in a barn surrounded by animals. And I'm sure they're asking some huge questions like, you know, God, it's been months since we've heard anything from the angels ourselves. We've lost friends. We've lost family. Are we going to be able to do this thing right. I mean, we all face pressure as parents. Can you imagine being parents of the Son of God? Jesus has come to take away the sins of the world, but what if we mess him up before he ever gets to doing his work? I mean, what if he ends up in prison or, or some perpetual therapy before he can actually go to the cross for our sins? And I'm imagining they're feeling some of that anxiety and it could be easily missed when you get to verse 25, and it says, at that time. You see, I think it's saying, just as these parents, first-time parents are wondering, do we have this? Can we really do this? It says there, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. It says he was a righteous and a devout man and he was eagerly awaiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him and it revealed to him that he would not die until he'd seen the Lord's Messiah. And that day the Spirit led him into the temple so when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as required, Simeon was there. Now I want you to jump down with me if you would to verse 36 because I want you to meet Anna too and then we're going to go back up. In verse 36 it says there was also a prophet Anna, a daughter of Penuel in the tribe of Asher and she was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then she was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple. But she worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. 
And coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to whom all were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. You know, I think there's a couple things we, we can catch from Simeon and Anna's story and the details that Luke gives us here. And the first thing he, he reiterates to us, he wants us to know is that they're really old. <laughs> and I don't think he tells us that uh, for any other reason than to say sometimes faith is just obedience in a long direction. It's waking up every day saying, God, I believe you're going to fulfill your word. And for them, it took some time. And for us, sometimes it takes time. They've been looking forward to this for a really, really long time. And I want you to see two things. I want you to see how God rewards anticipation. If we long for him, if we look to him, if we hope in him, we will not be disappointed. But I also want you to notice how the Holy Spirit of God coordinates their lives and our lives. Luke is quick to tell us that everything in the arrival of Christ account and the people surrounding it, they're all moving at the move and the voice of the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit of God that leads Simeon to the temple. It's what leads Mary and Joseph to be there. They needed this word of, of encouragement and affirmation to be sure. But so does Simeon. And so does Anna. Back up in verse 28, it says, Simeon would take the child in his arms and praise God saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you promised. I've seen, not your baby, not your boy, I've seen your salvation that you prepared in sight of all peoples. He's a light to reveal God to the nations. He's the glory of your people, Israel. And Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Simeon's in the temple faithfully as Joseph and Mary come. And he's standing there and he finally says, God, I can die a happy man. God, you promised me this. And I don't know if God gave him the promise when he was 20, when he was 30, when he was 40. But he had told him, Simeon, you're not going to die until the day you lay eyes on the Messiah. And Simeon now says that I've seen him. I've lived a full life. And friends, you will not. And you will not live a satisfied life in this world until you can lay eyes on the Christ child. Until you see the one who embodies all the hope and life of this world. And it is such a beautiful picture to me to see this old man holding this baby. And if it would have ended there, it would have been great. But it doesn't. Simeon goes on and he says some things that catch Joseph and Mary off guard. Look at this. He says to her, This child is destined to cause the rise and fall of many in Israel. He has been sent as a sign from God, and many will oppose him. And as a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your soul. You know, we use uh, texting and emojis to communicate. And I wondered, you know, what kind of emoji would Mary send in this moment? I think it might be this one. You know, that's not the one I picked, but that's an interesting one. Uh, or maybe it's this one. Shock, surprise. Or maybe it's even this one. Say what? You know, a little quizzical in a way. Simeon, you know, you, you just took a turn from blessing to crazy town, okay? 
And she's standing there as he holds this child. And, and I'm sure that Mary quickly takes him back and, and says, Joseph, can we go now? Um, you know, what in the world is Simeon talking about? When he says he will cause the, the fall of many in Israel, we know in 1 Peter 2.8 it says, Jesus is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that causes them to fall. How does he do that? When you live your life your way, when you're filled with pride, he confronts your pride, it causes you to stumble. It says he will cause others to rise. James 4.10 says, if you humble yourself before the Lord, he will lift you up in honor. And when I mess up my life, and I do, and when you mess up your life and you try to lift yourself up instead of humbling yourself, you struggle. But when you let God lift you up, and Simeon also says that many are going to oppose him. And Jesus himself would say in the Gospel of John, they would hate me without cause. Simeon also says the deepest thoughts of, of many hearts are going to be revealed. And Jesus again says in John 2.25, it says no one needed to tell him about human nature because he knew what was in each person's heart. But what catches the soul is when he says to Mary, Mary, it's going to feel like a sword is piercing your soul. And you read in the Gospel in John 19, you get this image of Mary standing at the foot of the cross, watching the life of her boy slip away. This little boy that she would have fed, this little boy that, that she would hold her fingers out to grasp onto, to hold as he took his first steps. This little boy that, that prayerfully she was there when he spoke his first words. I mean, can you imagine her in that moment, standing at the foot of the cross, watching as rough and crude Roman soldiers are gambling for his clothing and for the one garment that perhaps she had purchased for him. What would that feel like? Maybe like a sword piercing your soul? As it turns out, Simeon knew exactly what he was talking about. And, I, and I've thought many times, uh, you know, how does Mary seem so composed when she's at the foot of the cross? I don't think that's an accident. You see, I think for 33 years, she's had time to prepare for it. I think there are all kinds of events and moments in Jesus' life that, that brought Simeon's words to mind. And we don't know a lot about Christ from the time he was a little boy in the temple until he begins his ministry at the age of 30. But I imagine there are plenty of moments, as there are for every parent, where she would have to think back at what Simeon said and, and prepare her heart for what tomorrow would bring. I'm sure there were moments that when Jesus was little, it tested Mary's patience. I'm sure there were times she said, Jesus, if I've told you once, I've told you a hundred times. Pick up your toys. And then she stepped on it in the middle of the night and thought, I'm going to kill that kid if he doesn't start picking up his stuff. And later on, when Jesus came home one day and he crashed the family cam camel as he left his friend's house, and now their deductible had gone sky high. I'm sure there were moments that Mary and Joseph had, like all of us do as parents. But she came back to that moment when he was a baby, and that conversation took place. Here we are, Christmas 2018. 
And I'm just wondering, as you think about your life, do you think sometimes God doesn't get it? That maybe he doesn't understand your frustration as a parent or as a child? That maybe God isn't cued in to the feelings that you're going through. And maybe today you need that reminder. You see, if there's anything that could be said about our life, is life is unpredictable. I mean, that's the word. There are several things as I look back on 2018 that were not anticipated. And as great as a lot of things that happened were within this year, there were a lot of things that just threw me for a loop. Things that happened in the world, things that happened in this church and in my family. Things that actually ended up driving my faith a little bit deeper. And I know that as I look ahead to 2019, I'm, I'm praying and hoping for a lot of wonderful things to happen. But I know there are going to be some things that are unpredictable things that I could never see coming, things that are going to be painful, and things that are going to be hurting. And some of you right now, you've been waiting for an answer to things in 2018, and unless God intervenes, you're going to be waiting through 2019 as well. Have you ever noticed how much of our life is just spent waiting this time of the year, doesn't it kind of bring it all to the surface more than any other time? It seems like we're always sitting in traffic or waiting in line to pay for things at a store. Some of you are expecting and you're waiting for the arrival of a baby. Some of you, you're waiting to get pregnant. Some of you are waiting for that first grandchild. And, and maybe for you, you're like me. You know, you wait for something and you get it and it's probably the next day. You start anticipating what's next. And you get that and you anticipate what's next so much so that you never actually celebrate the arrival of what was anticipated. And maybe this Christmas is a time for you just to stop. Just to, to look to the yield sign and say, God, I want to celebrate your arrival, not for what you're going to do next. Can I just simply ask you today, what is it that you're waiting for? What is it going to look like to you when it arrives? Here's the thing about life for us. It would be good if we could just simplify ourselves to say, what do I need? God, what do I need right now? And recognize that our hope is at risk as we wait. Because maybe you've been waiting for a really, really long time. So how are you going to keep that hope alive? And here's the last thing I want to share with you. Waiting, friends, it will expose some of your greatest vulnerabilities, some of your greatest weaknesses and fears. It's the reason so many people go through Christmas with illusions. I've talked to a number of you just in this past week. We love this time of year. But do you know what I hear most often? Bill, it's exhausting. The preparation for family, the purchasing, everything, it's just so demanding. And I think one of the reasons we struggle so much this time of year is because we've been hoping all year long that for things that would be resolved by this Christmas. Hoping for things that we, we would receive before this Christmas, but Christmas comes and goes and we're still waiting that's a theme that goes through almost every Christmas movie on the Hallmark Channel that I've ever seen, or every movie we watch at Christmas time, isn't it? 
It's like this. I've been waiting and waiting to get that Red Ryder BB gun that my mom told me about. The one that I'm going to shoot my eye out with. But I don't care. Maybe this is the year I'm finally going to get it. Or maybe this is the year I'm finally going to be reunited with my dad. And he's going to stop selling those really bad children's books. And he's going to give me the love and the affection I need because I'm 40 years old now. And I was raised at the North Pole by elves, right? Or maybe this is the year that my boss is is finally going to recognize me with that bonus check that I deserve so I can go out and put a pool in the backyard. And if he doesn't, well, I've always got Cousin Eddie who can go after him, you know. You see, the whole reason we say things like, it's the most wonderful time of the year, is because somewhere buried deep within us, beneath the layers of cynicism and skepticism, and sometimes beneath the shame, is hope. And I want to encourage you that this child came to not only bring hope, but to keep hope alive. And I'm saying that because in my conversations with you, let's call it what it is, some of you, you've begun to lose hope. You're ready to walk out on hope. Maybe this year you're hoping that that family rift that opens up every time your family gets together Maybe it won't happen. Maybe this year you get whatever it is that you're looking for that will satisfy the longing of your heart. Maybe you've been thinking, this is the Christmas that I finally let go of the anger. Maybe this is the year that I finally, that that thing that's just put its fingers, the cancer that's in my heart, it will loosen its grip and and it will be freed from my life. Or maybe you're thinking, this is the year... I'm finally going to get some happiness and joy. And so we wait. Now, truthfully, I don't like waiting. None of us like waiting. I doubt any of you sat in an interview where somebody said, tell me your greatest strengths, and you said, I'm really good at waiting, you know. Or somebody said, tell me what your spiritual gift is, and you said, number one, patience. You know, I've never heard anybody say that. Nobody likes to wait, and we're all, in a season of waiting of one kind or another. So how do you hold on to that hope? It's a recognition like Simeon and Anna. And this is simply it. Waiting, friends, is preparation in disguise. Waiting is nothing more than God preparing you in disguise. That's why the details tell us in Luke's gospel, Simeon, he was devout. Simeon was a righteous man. He was waiting and preparing. Anna would go to the temple every single day. She would weep. She would fast and pray. What does that mean? God's working in her in the waiting to prepare her. When I invited this church at Thanksgiving to join me in a time of prayer and fasting, it was to prepare us. We were praying, God, bless this community, bless this church with growth, but God, before you do any of that, the first prayer is what? God, do your work in me. Prepare me through this prayer to be used by you. Enter every space of my heart. Do what only you can do. The nation of Israel had been waiting for over 400 years and, and, and claimed God is silent. It's not going to happen. He's not doing anything but looking back. 
Oh, yes, he was. He may not have been speaking audibly to the people, but he was moving nations and borders and boundaries to prepare for the arrival of his son. He moved aside the Persians so that Rome could come in. And with the Romans would come a taxation that would drive a young couple to pay taxes. Rome would come in and occupy Jerusalem. And Jerusalem, who loved their slavery or, or loved their freedom, would become slaves again. So much so that 80% of their income was going into Rome, and, and they just wanted the Messiah to come. God, would you please bring about what we anticipate? But along with those taxes would come the infamous Roman roads throughout the empire so that the news of this baby's birth could spread like wildfire in a way it never could before. The people, most everyone would know some Greek at the time because of God moving these nations around so that the arrival story of the Christ child could also go out in a common tongue. And from their perspective, it looked like God wasn't doing a thing. God had forgotten about them. But from God's perspective, he was preparing them for his arrival. I'm just curious how many of you would look back in the last year or years of your life and say, you know what? Been a long time since God showed up in my life. Been a long time since God showed up in my marriage. Been a long time since God showed up in this place in the way that we've been praying for. He must not be doing anything. Oh, yes, he is. Our God doesn't sleep. Our God doesn't slumber. He's moving the pieces and preparing you for the arrival of his blessing. He did it once, and he's going to do it again. So here's what I want to leave you with. Whatever it is that you're waiting for, I just want you to know God is in control. You may not feel it, but I just wanted you to hear it. Because right in the middle of it, it can feel hopeless sometimes. But, but cling to the promise that Simeon, that Anna clung to, that at just the right time, God came through. Again, he did it once. He'll do it again. He always does. And you're waiting. It's just preparation in disguise. I'm going to ask you to stay with me, if you would. And I just want to ask that you pray with me. Heavenly Father, I don't want anyone in this place, I don't want anybody outside this place, in fact, I don't want it nearly as much as you want it. But Father, I don't want anyone to to leave this world without seeing you, without being humble enough to take you in their arms and the salvation that you came to offer for all the anticipation of the human heart. You wrote eternity into the very fabric and core of our being. We know there's more. We know we're made for greater things. You made us for you. 
You made us for a relationship with the eternal. You made us to understand the fellowship of your Holy Spirit, the fellowship of you working in other people that call us a church. Father, we come to you in this moment of prayer with open arms to receive the gift that you gave. And Father, we admit to you sometimes we're like those young parents. We don't know if we're going to make it. We don't know if we have what it takes. But we entrust ourselves to you because you chose us. You chose us to be yours and you wouldn't choose if you didn't see within us the potential, the wonder, the glory that would come to you and to your son if we would just accept the offer of your salvation. Father, help us to value ourselves in the right light. Help us to value each other in the right light. And Father, help us to be devout. Help us to be faithful for the long run so that even if we can't see your hands moving, even if we can't hear your voice speaking, we trust that you'll always be faithful to who you are. You are our God. You're the author of peace, wonderful counselor, almighty God. And we love you. We need you. In Jesus' name. Friends, as we sing this song of invitation, for some of you, this is the time to accept the greatest Christmas gift of all, the life of Christ for your sin, to give up your sins, to receive forgiveness, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit in baptism. Maybe for some of you it's time to say, I'm ready to make this my church home and place your membership here. I'm going to invite you to do that as we sing this song together. Thank you.